0: Welcome back to Alyssa Explains It All. I am so excited to do this episode today because we are doing a QA. and a on Instagram. I asked you all to send in some questions, mostly sex ed related. I think there are some that are kind of outside of that, uh, that request, but that's okay. And so we're gonna go through some of these questions and answer as many as I can in the next 45 minutes to an hour. Okay, the first question that I see is what are the best products to use for female health? Um, I think it's most important to be eating well and drinking a lot of water. That will probably do the most of what you need. I, that's probably not the answer that you wanted, I'm sure. Um, but probiotics are really helpful too. Aside from that, your uh, your vagina will clean itself. Like It is a self-cleaning... Situation, you don't really need much else. So if you're eating well and drinking a lot of water and you also want to take a probiotic, you're in good shape. And if you feel like things are not feeling right, smelling right, looking right, just have it, have it checked out. You're most likely fine unless you're experiencing some kind of pain. Can you get an STD from yourself? Like, and then it's the nail painting emoji. So because bacteria and stuff. Okay, I'm trying to like read how the question, it says, can you get an STD from yourself because bacteria and stuff or only from someone else? So an STD or an STI is sexually transmitted, but you can give yourself an infection for sure. Bacteria is bacteria no matter where it comes from. So you can get something like like BV, bacterial vaginosis. It's just like, it's bad bacteria um, buildup. You can get that from not having clean hands when you're putting in a tampon or doing any like uh, masturbation activities. If you don't wash your hands, if you don't wash your sex toys regularly, you can also give yourself an infection that way. It it wouldn't be an STD or an STI though, um, because that would require, I think technically that would require sex with another person. Um, Either way, an infection is an infection. So, Do what you can to keep things clean um, and keep in mind that you know an infection anywhere is because there's some bacteria or dirt something that's not supposed to be in there so that's that oh this is a cool one are come and discharge the same thing and why do we come when we orgasm okay so come and discharge are not the same thing they come from different parts of your vagina or from your yeah from your internal organs and so, no, they are not the same thing. I don't actually know why we come when we orgasm. Actually, I'm going to double check it. It's so funny because when I look it up, it's all sort of like reproduction related. So, it's like men need to orgasm to release sperm to induce, to, to you know, get someone pregnant. But women do not. It's like that's not the question that I asked at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think this seems like it's kind of confirming what I th- what I thought. There's no real reason for it aside from just um, all of the arousal that you're experiencing causes a lot of like blood flow, muscle tension, that kind of stuff. I think it's sort of the result of the culmination of all of that. And it releases a lot of like endorphins and things like that. So I think the same way that like your, your brain involuntarily releases things like endorphins it's a similar thing where it's just an involuntary release. Uh, But I don't think there's a biological reason for coming. It's a lot of like the muscle movement, as far as I can tell. This one kind of made me laugh because it says, is male squirting real? And how would I get there? I don't, so squirting when it happens for a woman is a secretion that comes from a different gland than where the cum would come from. And it takes like a pretty extended period of time and some practice, honestly, to figure out how to do that. Um, There's also somebody who asked, how do I make someone squirt a woman? It says her, so vulva owner. And there are actually some really great courses on how to do that. If you go to getcheeks.com, which if you scroll back on my Instagram, there should also be a discount code for cheeks and it's cheeks with an X. So G-E-T-C-H-E-E-X dot com. They have a ton of information on how to do like pretty much anything sexual related. You can find it on there. Um so there will be a step by step on how um how to make someone squirt. It's a another involuntary release and it just comes from a different gland. Um Male squirting doesn't exist. I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah, it's so funny because when I when I look up to confirm that I'm that I'm going to say the right thing before I say it, the amount of information that comes up first that's wrong is actually shocking. So it comes from the skein glands, um, the fluid that that is uh, released when someone squirts and the the skein gland I'm so glad that I knew this I'm actually really proud of myself because the skein gland is the prostate and so you can't the prostate is not going to release that same fluid so no it's not possible and if you didn't already know from anything that I posted in the past the genital makeup for people who are it's a boy when they're born or it's a girl when they're born. It's exactly the same parts, just organized in a different way. So something like the skein glands in a vulva owner would be internal behind the sides of the vulva. The prostate would be the equivalent for that. And that obviously is like a little further under. So same parts organized differently, um, but male squirting does not happen. Um... Can receiving oral make you more susceptible to UTIs? Yes, because there's bacteria in your mouth. Um, and if someone like does is not great with their oral hygiene, yeah, absolutely. So be careful. Also, spitting um, can cause UTIs. So be mindful, be careful. It's always best practice to go pee after you do any sort of sexual activity. And if you can like you know grab something to sort of wipe the area um even brands like the honey pot make really basic wipes that you can use and they are like not you can find ones that have no fragrance made for sensitive skin and it might just be a good idea if you're prone to utis um, but those are activities that you like you would normally like to do best advice for sex with endometriosis besides lubricants Mm -hmm. That, I would say, your best bet might be to, I'm almost inclined to say that you should try pelvic floor therapy. Because if you can release a lot of the muscle tension that's happening um, in your genital area, that might help. Overall, though, with something like endometriosis, I would find a gynecologist that specializes in endometriosis because it's not, um, that's like so, so much more of a like medical thing that without knowing your medical history and without being a clinician, I don't want to give you um, a ton of other advice, but I would say if you haven't already explored a pelvic floor physical therapist, that would be um, a really interesting exercise for you too. We had Dr. Janelle Howell, who her Instagram is uh, vagina rehab doctor. She has online, um, video courses teaching you how to stretch your pelvic floor. And she does a really great job of making that information affordable and accessible. Um, so she might be a really great person to reach out to as well. Oh boy. How do pregnancies change our vagina? <laughs> My mom is like, <laughs> she's in the corner. She's like, Hmm, uh, you know, it, it's different for every, every person. Um, because the way that you give birth matters. Like There are some people who will have um, episiotomies where they have to make a an incision to widen the, is it the vulva or the vagina? I guess the vulva, because the vagina is a canal. Oh, that's what they cut? Yeah. I had to refer to my mom. So they cut the perineum, which is the space between the vulva and the anus, that skin down there. So if they have to do something like that, obviously that changes some some things down there. There could be like a variety of tearing that goes on. And so if you need to have any of that like stitched up afterwards, that obviously changes things. However, your vagina is the internal tube and the vulva is the external piece. The vulva might change. Um, based on any of those sort of, like, cosmetic things, your vagina, whenever your doctor gives you the okay, your vagina will go back to its normal size. It will not stay stretched forever. Obviously, it, it dilates to at least t- 10 centimeters to allow a child to exit, um, and it will come back. So... Um, it will not be exactly the same, but it will also not be, it will not forever be what it is immediately after you have a child. Oh, what advice do you have for someone who's almost 30 and has never done anything? I don't know if that means like, you haven't dated in general, like that has not been something you've explored yet or if that's sexual that you haven't done anything in that sense. Um, Either way, I would say to do your best to find a partner that you have really good communication skills with because if you can talk to them about how you feel throughout the entire process in a way that feels very honest, you will you're more likely to have a really good experience. And I think I think being open and honest when those convers when it's time for to have those conversations is great. I wouldn't lead with something like you're you're on like a first date. And they're like, what's something new about you? And you say, well, I'm a virgin. Like, I wouldn't say that because you, I think people get intimidated by that information and you don't want to intimidate them, even though that's not an intimidating thing. When the time is right, you feel like you've built enough trust with that person, then you can have a conversation um, around, you know, I haven't, this is actually a new experience for me. And and what, however you feel about it, you could be anxious, you could be nervous. Um, I think one of the things that, that I wish someone told me when I was younger is that every Person does things differently, like kissing. Even like there are some people that you'll kiss, and you're like, "This is terrible." And then, and it has nothing to do with whether whether that person is a good or bad kisser. There's just like some people that are a better fit in ways than others. And so, don't feel discouraged if you feel like someone's not a great fit. Um, And also, sometimes you just like need a little time to learn learn how to kiss that person, or learn how to do whatever it might be that they they want to explore with you. So go in knowing that it's totally fine. You will be totally fine. If you're open and honest and own your experience and you are looking for someone that you can build trust with, I think you'll be great. Masturbation manifestation is it real. This is from the iconic Pat Pitts. Um, Okay, so my spooky witchy side says yes. (laughs) And the reason that I say yes is because I think, I think when you do any sort of manifestation, even if you don't believe that it, this is like really not a sex question, but I love this question so much. I think even if you are manifesting without any sort of like self touch at all, you are more likely to make decisions based on what you've, manifested right so if I'm manifesting every single day that I'm going to have a million followers and I every single day I'm like you have a million followers you're going to have a million followers whatever the likelihood of me spending the rest of my day working towards that goal because it's something that I'm actively reminding myself that you know that's something that I would like to achieve um the likelihood of me doing things that will will lead me there is way higher. So when you're doing something like manifesting while also masturbating, your focus is really strong on whatever that is. Masturbation also releases endorphins like crazy. And so you're putting this idea into your mind, into the universe and like really embedding it into your brain that this is a goal that you want to achieve while also having a release of endorphins. Even if you're not a magical magical person like that, and you don't believe in like the spooky, ooky, witchy stuff, I feel like it can't be it can't be bad, you know. Those are like those are some some great activities to pair up. So I say yes. Let's see. Okay, is there any movie slash series to learn about sex? I would say if you want like information and you just want to learn about, it's not so much of like teaching you step-by-step what to do, um, but there is a series on Netflix and it's called The Principles of Pleasure. And it's really, really cool. It has one of my favorite um, sexologists in the entire world. Um, Emily Nagoski, Dr. Emily Nagoski is featured in that series. And it has a whole bunch of information about sex, joy, and modern science, it says, and it celebrates the world of women's pleasure, puts myths to rest. It's a really, really interesting series. I highly recommend that one. Um, And it just gives you a lot of good background information. It was super empowering and I love it. So Principles of Pleasure on Netflix. I'm not a big goop girly. I think that most of the things that they sell on there are ridiculous and I don't agree with most of it. However, there is another Netflix miniseries called Love, Sex and Goop and they had a bunch of sexologists sex coaches, a lot of people that I look up to as well and people that like I have learned tremendously from. And that's also on Netflix. Those are like pretty easy to, if you know who I am, that means you have a Netflix account probably. So you, you could probably watch those pretty easily. So Principles of Pleasure and Love, Sex and Goop, I would watch those. But if you want more of like a tutorial thing, getcheeks.com. I'm not even sponsored to say this right now. Like I, I actually think that they're a great resource and It's G E T C H E E X.com. They have a section of the website that's like ethical porn that you can watch. And then you can also go to a section of their website that has information that you can look at and it's articles. And there's, I think there's some videos as well and that's more of like giving you a how to and walking you through um, a bunch of steps if you want to learn that way. There's another one I think called Bedsider. Um, I can double check that that's what that is, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And they also do a similar thing of like tutorials. Oh, how to talk to my 11 year old boy about sex. He's curious and has asked, asked me about it. My advice, and obviously this is your child. And so you can do whatever makes you comfortable. My advice is to tell the truth and use the real words for all of the things that you are explaining. Please, please, please. Do not call his penis like a piecey or whatever. Don't do that because it's really important that that kids know the names of their own body parts. It drastically reduces the chances of them experiencing any sort of inappropriate or abusive behavior um, when you're specific. So if you're being specific and accurate about what the names are, you're already in a great place. I'll give you an example of why this works. So if you tell your kid that these are your private parts, and they are private, and that's that's all you're gonna tell them. You're not gonna give them any sort of like definition between your penis or your scrotum or whatever it is. When something inappropriate may happen private parts doesn't tell us anything it also doesn't give them the agency to really embrace that this is their own body that they should be protective of private parts also kind of feels like it's it's like private and untouchable for you as well literally and and metaphorically um and so being specific is really important i would also answer the questions that he's asking in as honest a way as possible if there's something that feels like you know what he really doesn't need to know that you can probably just say I love that question I don't really think that it's something you'll be dealing with for a little while so let's talk about it another time if you have any other questions I would love to answer them for you I think it's okay that at 11 if he's asking what sex is that you explain generally what it is and the types of sex that people could be having in regards to like the different types of combinations of people you know so you want to make sure that you're giving him information that's also inclusive so that he can make his own choices and not feel like Um, you are assuming that he's he's straight or whatever yeah I think just being honest is helpful and also allowing him to sort of guide the conversation so that you know you're not oversharing things that he's not thinking about that might also be helpful Um, also we had Mariah from Sex Ed Files on the podcast she teaches I believe she has curriculums that go As far as early as kindergarten, obviously, they're not talking about sex in kindergarten, but they're talking about appropriate ways to hug or whatever. She would have a lot of great ideas also. So if you feel like you need more guidance, um, you can also you can reach out to her. She's sex ed files on Instagram. Um, But I would say honesty is the best policy for sure. Someone asked, not really a question, but I get yeast infections and UTIs and it gave me trauma down there. I would like you to know first that that is totally understandable and actually pretty normal. Um, It's possible that what you're experiencing, if you have trouble, if you want to be having sex and you you physically cannot, it could be that the pelvic floor is really, really tight. So again, a pelvic floor therapist, um, Dr. Janelle Howell, vagina Rehab doctor. She has great courses that are super affordable and you can do at home. I would also recommend getting a sex therapist if you can, even a regular therapist. Um, I would recommend a sex therapist because they've had some extra training in things like this um, and they can help support you through the individual you know moments that you experience those those traumatic, uh, or those trauma responses. So it's going to be a bit of a process. I think you have to give yourself some grace because it's completely understandable that after getting painful, irritating, disruptive, um, infections or whatever, In your genital area it completely makes sense that you would be a little bit shy to explore anything I would say to make sure that anytime you have any sexual experiences moving forward that everything is as clean as it can be things like toys even make sure that you're cleaning those appropriately if you don't have a sex toy cleaner um, most places that sell toys will also sell a cleaning product I believe I have one from Adam and Eve But I know that there's a bunch of companies that have them as well make sure that you find one and that will help reduce things like UTIs drastically Um, also take a probiotic probiotics help with yeast infections Um, so if you're not taking a daily probiotic that also would be helpful Um, but take everything as slow as you possibly can and really take the time and energy to invest in yourself like look at a pelvic floor therapist in your area if you can or go on a uh, vagina rehab doctor um, on her website and you can invest in one of those classes they're like 15 20 bucks um, but it's really more the investment of time right it, and showing yourself that you are worth the time and you are worth the energy because this is a big part of you and being able to regain it is really important and I one of the things that makes me so angry about being a part of this industry is coming up against people who really feel like sex is not important and intimacy is not important because it is. It's one of our like basic functions as human beings and it's important that you are able to enjoy and experience everything that you would like to. So invest the time, invest the energy, invest the effort. It will 1 million percent be worth it and check out those resources that I that I listed. Recommendations for shaving slash bumps slash what's safe for cleaning up um the honey pot makes really great products that are fragrance free, made for sensitive skin, that sort of thing. So if you need like a something to like sort of wipe up the area externally, you can get something like that. Internally, um there's really there's nothing that you need to be cleaning. Your vagina is a self-cleaning. It's like a self-cleaning oven. So you don't need to worry about that. Um, For shaving and bumps, if you consistently get shaving and bumps, I would say to explore waxing as an option, that's been a big game changer. Also, um, any like physical exfoliator, obviously you have to be super careful because that's the vaginal area, but like, um, like a sugar scrub that like you make perhaps might be okay. um, And that can help with just exfoliating can actually don't use a scrub don't use a scrub get one of those exfoliating I was trying to think of what I have because I haven't had a scrub in a really long time and I had such a brain fart I have the gloves that you exfoliate with and they are like they're not super rough but they're a little bit textured and you can use them for self tanning that's originally what I got them for but they're great for exfoliating anywhere and that exfoliation really helps reduce the chance of having ingrown hairs which razor burn bumps that type of thing also making sure that the razor that you use is new Um, I think you're only supposed to have razors for two weeks before you swap them out but it depends on how often you're using it if your shower is really really humid or your bathroom is really humid make sure that there's no rust on on the razor too that's just don't do that don't do that How likely are you to catch herpes from someone who isn't having an outbreak? So herpes can be asymptomatic. You can also have herpes that sort of like sheds the virus without having any sort of blisters or open sores or anything like that. So there's always a little bit of a likelihood um, that you could potentially catch it. Herpes is most contagious. That's the word. (laughs) Herpes is most contagious when there are blisters, especially if they are open. So there's always a little bit of a likelihood that you could get it. Uh, So be really careful, especially because sometimes people won't notice right away that they have them. Although I know that there's sort of like a physical sensation, so that's possible as well, but be super careful and mindful. Um, And each There's a few different kinds of herpes as well. So I would talk to your partner about the type of herpes that they have. Then you can do some more kind of independent research based on the type. You can also, plannedparenthood.org has so much information and I'm sure, and it's all going to be accurate. And so I would just also, once you find out the type of herpes that your partner has, maybe you already know, go on their website and see what kind of guidance they might have. If you don't feel like that's enough support, you can also um, check in with your gyno. You can even call and ask if you could just like quickly talk to your gynecologist. And they might be able to do that for you over the phone if you're kind of shy to make an appointment. Um, However, depends on the type, there's always a little bit of a likelihood, but the most contagious it will be is when there are blisters and sores. Is it normal for girls to not like having people go down on them? Anything that you want to experience in sex is normal. So if, if they don't want that, normal. If they do want it, also normal. It really just depends on the person. And they can have whatever experience they would like to sexually. So whatever they want is normal, as long as they're not hurting anybody. Do you think intimacy in a relationship can come back from two years with zero sexy times? <laughs> Yes, of course I do. It will take some effort and it will take some time, but of course you can. I think a really good exercise to start with is to think back to a time where you had an exemplary moment in your sexual experience with your partner and write down in detail as much as you possibly can about where you were, what was going on in your personal life your job your family where you lived if you have kids were your kids not around um was this before you had children at all was this before you got married literally write down or i don't know if you are married or even have kids write down as much as you possible what you were wearing the perfume you were wearing what food you ate if you went out to dinner if you stayed home as much as you can and look at that list and see how much of it you can recreate. And the purpose of doing this is A lot of our sexual experiences are based on the context in which we receive them. So a good example of this is tickling. So if you are a person who hates being tickled, but you're in like a flirty or friendly environment and someone like tickles you a little bit and you're in like a safe place, you're more likely to be okay with it than a a random person coming up to you and tickling you. I would punch them in the face. So the difference between those two experiences is the context that you're in. So when you're trying to revitalize a sex life with your partner or even with yourself, it's really important to look at the context specifically around anything that would that would be stressful. Stress is the biggest inhibitor of sexual experiences. In our brains, we have like off switches and on switches or breaks and uh what's the brakes and gas essentially so things that would turn on the brakes for you or push the brakes for you would be things that are stressful so things like having kids having a job that you hate not liking your apartment being in in conflict with your partner or with other people that would be something that would hit the brakes for you And something that might be um, an accelerator, something that would hit the gas for you might be, you had a really great dinner. Your partner flirted with you all day and that feels like foreplay for you. Um, You got flowers that day or it was just a particularly peaceful day in your house. Those might be things that would hit the gas for you. You have to figure out ways to do both. So you have to, you can't, if you've ever driven a car, you know that as hard as you press the gas, if your foot is also on the brake, you're not moving. So you need to find a way to release your foot from the brake, which means finding ways to reduce that stress and reduce any sort of anxiety or inhibitor to wanting to experience anything sexually and that's where going through that list of the context really plays in and comparing your experience to a really great exemplary sexual experience to what you go through now and the context differences and then when it comes to things that are accelerators or that gas you can look at that context list again but it's also not a bad idea to just consider things that are like Playing the long game for foreplay. So things like taking sex off the table for a month. And you're saying that you haven't had sex in two years. Have a conversation with your partner and say, we are not allowed to have sex. We are also not allowed to touch each other. No kissing, no touching, no cuddling, nothing for a month. And I promise you that will ignite something very different because if it's been two years the stress of it being that long sits in your brain and that's hitting the brakes hard and self-criticism looking at yourself and being like why would anyone want to have sex with me I have this this and this and we haven't had sex in two years why would they want to have sex with me now Self-criticism is one of the biggest contributors to stress also. It's also highly tied to loneliness, um, and it decreases the ability for you to open up and be vulnerable and want to engage in any sort of sexual activity. It hits the brakes. It hits the brakes really, really hard. So by taking something like sex off the table and having your relationship revolve around the day-to-day things, I actually, I think if you can do maybe like a week of no touching, no kissing, nothing. And then maybe the second week you allow touching and you can maybe do like massages for each other or hugs or cuddling. And then the third week you can pull in kissing. Doing those things builds intimacy without the pressure of sex being on the table. So take sex off the table so that the stress is not there at all and do these sort of baby steps to build the other parts of intimacy. And when you're in the phase of no touching, no kissing, no sex, as little you know cuddling as you possibly can do, that's when you're gonna start to notice other small things that you can do that do build intimacy, buying flowers for your partner, um, cleaning up the kitchen before they they even get the chance to, making them dinner, taking them out. Those are displays of intimacy. And so taking all the other stuff off the table makes a lot of other things available to you. So that would be my advice. Okay. We're going to do one more. Okay. The last one, the last one is going to be, is it weird to prefer masturbation over sexual over sexual blah, 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 blah. I'm gonna start that again <laughs> is it weird to prefer sexual masturbation over what Jesus is it weird to prefer masturbation over sexual intercourse okay we got it um no it's not weird uh, you can have whatever preferences you would like to have also mutual masturbation is a thing. And that's actually, that could be really fun. That can be really intimate. And that is when you and your partner are like laying next to each other, sitting next to each other. You can be across the room and looking at each other and masturbating and, and like having this experience without physically touching each other. Um, but I would also think about what it is when you are masturbating that is, like, kind of getting you across the finish line that's fun for you. Um, so if you, oh, OK, so this is this is a, a guy. So think about what it is that you are doing, like the way that you are manipulating your penis or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, And if there is a way that you can describe that to your partner, I also think that it's important to also, to also think about how sex is so much more than coming or the orgasm part of it. It's a lot about the connection. So you could start maybe with, with some sort of masturbation, do a little bit of sexual intercourse, maybe just to like, you know, feel that connection and then hop off. literally and figuratively and you can finish with masturbation if you want to if you don't want to have sexual intercourse at all that's also okay um that's something to talk about with future partners for sure mutual masturbation can be really fun so I would encourage you to explore that and to also explore what about masturbation you like so much and if you can find ways to direct your partner to do that for you um that could also be fun Okay, i think that's all of our questions that was really fun i'm so glad i got to answer these with a little more time than the minute and a half that i get for reels and for stories and stuff and i hope this has been helpful i would love to do more q a's in the future so um you can always send us uh emails to Alyssa explains it all pod at gmail.com and we can answer any of those questions on any podcast episode if you would like so if you have any questions you want to send my way especially if there are questions that you have a little bit more background that you would like to share and you would like for us to answer on the pod by all means please send us an email I would love that so it's Alyssa explains it all pod at gmail.com Thank you so much for sending in all of your questions. I had so much fun answering them and I really appreciate the level of trust um, that you have in me and the vulnerability that you had um, in sharing those with me. So I appreciate it very much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I love you.